Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson. Did you miss me? Yeah, I hope you did, but probably many of you didn't. I mean, it's a little bit of a lull in the hockey season. Let's be honest. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about what's going on with the hockey schedule, with the hockey situation, with hockey in general. So um, I wanted to just kind of pick up and update on where some things are. First of all, there's no news whatsoever on the Tampa Bay Lightning front when it comes to Julian Brisebois trying to find a way to alleviate and free up some much, much needed salary cap space for the team and how that reverts or um, sort of uh, factors into a Tyler Johnson situation or whatever potential moves that Julian Brisebois wants to get to and you know, as I've said this before, in, in regards to this and and how, um, you know, the team and the front office staff at at four hundred one Channel Side Drive there is looking to deal with things. I don't think you're going to see much movement on many areas in terms of the NHL until the NHL knows what's going on. Until there's a a date, a start date, a training camp start date, a season start date all that stuff, and we don't know that yet, which is what we're going to get into here in this episode uh, of of this podcast. So uh, until there's something done, I mean, look, you got a guy like Mike Hoffman, who's a 30-goal scorer still without a team. You know, you haven't seen many players be signed uh, in recent weeks. You haven't seen uh, players even sign with their own teams in recent weeks. There's a lot of big-name restricted free agents on the market, of course, most notably with Tampa Bay, Eric Chernak and Mikhail Sergachev and Anthony Sorelli. So, you know, you're just not seeing a whole lot of that right now. It's it's just a very stagnant situation. And the reason for that is there's been no no movement from the NHL, but I think you're going to start seeing some movement very, very soon. Uh, maybe by the time you even listen to this podcast, there will be something at least a framework of some sort being put into place, but we don't have one right now. And the NHL needs to find one if they're going to play a 2021 season. And let's face it, they will play some sort of a season. The problem is we don't know what that's going to look like, how it's going to look like. I can tell you this though, it's going to look drastically different than the norm. But what else is new? Everything normal is now new, right? Nothing that we've known before when it comes to sports, really in general, is the the norm now. It, it's it's a new norm. Everything is a new norm. 
you know, whether it was baseball playing in a bubble and now they're talking about, oh, maybe they could hold the World Series at a neutral site. It's just, you know, much different thinking process, thought process. We saw the NHL, of course, have their situation in a bubble. We've seen the NFL have to alter their schedule um, in many ways and, you know, push games back. I mean, we've seen Tuesday night games on the NFL schedule because of the COVID situation. We see what's going on with college football, specifically the SEC, which has had to cancel, you know, or postpone uh, n- n- numerous games. You know, the Florida Gators uh, were stagnant for two weeks because they had to quarantine. And then we see, uh, I think, up to four or five games on a weekend schedule have to be postponed or canceled or pushed back because of COVID situations. And it's just kind of the world that we're living in right now. I'm not telling you anything that's. New, I'm not telling you anything that's going to catch you off guard. As we know, nothing is normal right now, and we don't know when that's going to be. Certainly, there's been some encouraging signs in regards to a vaccine potentially out there. Um, you know, but even that, even if you know the U.S. can produce, mass produce these vaccines, you know, we've you know Canada's close to one. Russia says they have one. You know, science is finally catching up with this virus, but we also know that it won't be readily available till maybe middle of next year. And in terms of a mass scale situation, you know, they're, you know, you're talking about having 5 million doses, but you know, when you think there's 365 million people just in the United States alone, you can see the issues that's going to have. So whatever the NHL puts together is going to look very, very much different than anything we've seen before. And that includes the potential of an all-Canadian division and the restrictions. And this is why the NHL is in a different bit of a pickle uh, when it comes to trying to put together a season than the other sports. I mean, we saw the Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, have to play their home games in Buffalo this year because of the uh, border restrictions that Canada still has in place that anybody that comes in for non-essential travel, uh, um, you know, well, you're only allowed to come in for essential travel. And, and if you don't, you know, you still have to quarantine for 14 days. So that's why the Blue Jays played their home games in Buffalo. Of course, the NBA has the Toronto Raptors. And there's talk about them f- having to find a home in, in the United States to be able to play their season. We know the NBA is going to tip off their season on December the 22nd. Uh, and, and Toronto has to figure out, can they play their games in Toronto or are they going to have to find a home city in the U.S.? Uh, Amelie Arena has been a possible landing spot for the potential of Toronto playing their home games here in Tampa. Again, I don't think or, or know if there would be any fans in the stands. That's completely above my pay grade to figure that out. I know the restrictions here in the state of Florida are not like they are in some other states. And, you know, maybe that's something that uh, the NBA considers or the Toronto Raptors considers when it comes to that. And I'd be curious, you know, if that was the case, how many fans would actually go to an NBA game in this market? Uh, I'm not big on basketball, but I know a lot of people are. Jay Retcher, uh, in particular, we tend to have conversations uh, when we get together, and he he tends to bring up the NBA. I know he's an NBA fan, you know. But is this a, a, a an NBA market? Is this a basketball market? You know, it'd be interesting to me to see if if fans would show up there. But how that relates to the NHL? Again, 
if there's border restrictions still in place, then there's no way that the NHL can have teams crossing the border with seven seven Canadian teams. You know, like I said, the NBA and Major League Baseball have one team north of the border. The NHL is seven. So you can see the logistic issues that they would have there. You couldn't have any type of a season if those border restrictions were still in place. And the problem is, is that you're you're about to crunch time and making those decisions. And it does not look like with the rising cases of coronavirus uh, really across North America, you know, and even in Canada, that they are not going to be lifting those restrictions anytime soon and not certainly in enough time for the NHL to put together a normal schedule. So that's why this idea of a seven-team Canadian-based division seems like it's most likely going to happen. And if you look at the way the league is set up now, you can you can pull this off in in terms of a schedule. It's not going to be a full 82 games. I think we can kind of throw that out the window. It, it, so you have four divisions right now in the NHL. Right, You have three divisions that have eight teams, and you have one division that has seven. Well, seven Canadian-based teams. You could still put together three other uh, divisional-based teams, geographically speaking. So you would have you know, the teams in California and out west, so you know, the Sharks, the Ducks, um, the Kings, the Coyotes, Vegas, uh, probably Colorado, um, and maybe Minnesota. As a division, you know, if you want to do it geographically, then you could have, say, a, a St. Louis and a Chicago and Dallas and Nashville and maybe Tampa, Florida and Carolina. Uh, you know, so uh, you, you could look kind of what that is going to sort of look like uh, in terms of how the divisions might look. So could you imagine the Lightning playing in a division this year that would not include a Toronto, would not include a Boston? Would not include a Buffalo. Would not include, um, you know, a Montreal. I mean, you think about it. We've gotten used to this Atlantic Division setup here the last number of years, and you know, a little bit of the rivalry that the Lightning have had with the Bruins in particular. Um, you know, there's a possibility you could be in a division with a a St. Louis, a Dallas, a Nashville, Chicago, uh, something that looks much, much drastically different uh, for the remaining 24 teams. Um, Sorry, the, the 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 remaining. My, again, math is hard. Journalism school. They told me there would be no math, but there's 24 teams, of course, left uh, after you put the seven Canadian teams into a vision. So the next thing you have to think about: okay, how are these teams going to play? How are they going to play? And you've heard the possibility of hub cities, not like what we saw for the playoffs. That's a completely different scenario, a situation. They are not going to create bubbles. They are not going to put players and staff inside of a bubble for extended periods of times. You know, we know what was a 65 days that Tampa Bay and Dallas were in that bubble, um, you know, the, for the better part of two plus months uh, isolated. You're not going to have that situation, but you have heard the thought of a potential bubble situation being brought up just in the terms of teams coming together in one city, set them up for a couple of weeks, play three, four, five, six games in that time span, 
against each other, and then they would disperse. They would go back to their home markets, and then they would go to a different hub city and play games against that team. Um, you know, in, in those circumstances, and you know, again, Tampa and Amelie Arena has been uh, one of those potential ones, just because if you look at the setup that Tampa Bay has with the arena downtown in the channel side district, you have the Marriott waterside right there. You have an NBC suites right there. You have a Western right there and you have uh, about to be open. I believe it's scheduled to open in January, a JW Marriott adjacent to the rink. That's that property that there was a parking lot that's adjacent to the, the parking garage, on the west side of Amelie Arena that is going to be a hotel that is scheduled to open sometime in January. So you could see the allure from a league standpoint of putting uh, Tampa and Amelie Arena as, as one of these hub cities to have that type of a situation. Again, the fan situation is unknown at this point. Uh, that could be potentially exciting if we could have fans socially distanced in a safe environment to kind of watch some of those games. We'll have to see what that looks like, um, but it, it, it is uh, very uh, curious uh, how this is all going to play out, but we are getting into crunch time. I mean, it is crunch time for the league to come up with a plan, and you've heard in recent days, you know, there was a Board of Governors meeting, there was an NHLPA executive meeting that, that have all taken place here in the last couple of days uh, to try and put something together. I think there's some pressure on the NHL because the NBA has now come out with their plan to start on a December 22nd. But here's the issue the NHL is facing. They're still, I don't want to say hell-bent, but they are adamant about looking to start the season on January 1st. Whatever that season looks like, they are still looking to start on January 1st. But let's do the math here. Again, not my strong suit. Math is hard. but Let's back this up. If you're planning on starting a season January 1st, no matter what it looks like, whether it's this Hub City idea, whether it's teams still playing in their home arenas, whatever it looks like, if you start on January 1st, you still have to have at least a couple of weeks of training camp. We know that the NHL, specifically when it comes to their training camp, is much shorter than a lot of the other leagues. You think uh, NFL is four exhibition games and training camp is about six weeks. And Major League Baseball spring training seems like it goes on forever. Uh, the NBA is uh, it's about around the, the same time frame. But let's say let's say that the league wants to start on January the first. Okay, back that up. Two weeks is December the eighteenth. That's when. Minimum two-week training camp. Usually training camps in the NHL are about 16, 17 days. Usually you get anywhere between six and eight, sometimes nine exhibition games, preseason games that teams play. They put on their schedule. You know, so let's back. Okay, if you want to say it's it's a 16-day camp as normal, now you're getting back into December the 15th. On top of that, you have the seven teams who did not qualify for the bubble tournament. 24 teams were in that tournament. Seven teams were not. The league has told those seven teams that they will have additional time to have their training camp, whether that's an extra week, whether that's an extra 10 days, whatever it looks like. The league has told those teams that they can have that. They will have that. 
Well, okay, let's back that up again. So now we're looking at December 8th, December 6th. Well, guess what? We are in the middle of November. I am recording this on November the 13th. That gives us essentially three weeks from what would have to be the opening of training camp for the seven non-playoff teams. And to, to get to there, you have to get the players to these home cities. You know, you've got plenty of players who are in Europe. Uh, certainly many of you, and just like I, have seen plenty of pictures of Mikhail Sergachev and Alex Volkov and Nikita Kucherov and Andre Vasilevsky over in Russia, right? We know they're over in Russia. They're visiting and spending time with family over in Russia. Well, they would have to have a time frame to come back. Now, imagine, uh, depending on where they have to fly into, um, you know, you think of, of the Canadian markets in particular, let's say in Ottawa. And Ottawa is a team, of course, that did not make the playoffs. Uh, but if there is a 14-day quarantine period for players arriving into Ottawa, okay, now, now we're a week away from those players having to be notified. You have to be back in Ottawa by this date. You know, if that date is December the 8th, you know, we're up against it. You're up against it. If you go back two weeks from December 8th, guess what that is? That's November the 24th. So that's 11 days away from where we are right now as I sit here and record this. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. So you can see the time crunch that is starting to develop, the sense of urgency in some ways that's starting to develop for the league to have to put something together. You know, and look, so much credit goes to the NHL, to Gary Bettman, to Bill Daly, to Donald Fear, the NHLPA executive committee, for putting together the Stanley Cup tournament and giving us the 2020 Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup championship team. They put together something that worked. I can't say it went off flawlessly, but it went off probably better than anybody expected it could. So they put together that plan. They didn't rush into those decisions. Well, they're not going to rush into these decisions either. This is what they've said. Bill Daly was on uh, the Rink podcast, which is produced by the NHL, Dan Rosen is uh, the host. I think Sean Rourke is, is the other uh, co-host on that show. Bill Daly was on that show uh, earlier this week talking about those situations uh, and how they might um, you know, be, be affecting the league. But basically he said, we're not going to rush into a decision just to make a decision. And that's where the league is, is prudent in that way. They should be commended for what they've been able to do to put that together and and not rush into judgment. And, you know, and they have said they're flexible and they've acknowledged the fact that you might have to push back to a later start date than January 1st. So that alters that timeline that I just went over with you, you know, so there are a lot of things that are still fluid. There's still a lot of things that are uh, in play here for the the league and, and trying to put together some sort of a semblance of a 2020-21 season, you know, and then how many games is that going to be? You know, the precedence is there from previous 
locked out seasons, most recently the 2012-2013 season. We know that there was a lockout that cost them half the year. They started up in January. They played a 48-game schedule. Well, is 48 games going to be enough this year? Do you have to play more games? You know, the longer the NHL stretches out the season a little bit, the more potential, and I use that word potential, it's not anything other than that, of having either fans in the stands or a greater percentage of fans in the stands, especially the closer we get to the possibility of a vaccine. So that could open up different possibilities. So do you stretch the season out for that part? We know how much teams, certain teams anyway, rely so much on gate receipts to be able to bring in revenue. They don't have lucrative television deals, certainly not a national lucrative television deal, much like the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA have. So you need the gates, you need, you know, you need those loge boxes filled, you know, those, you need those suites filled. There's no events in buildings, there's no concerts, there's, there's none of that going on right now. So do you stretch that out? Or do you try and get, condense it down? Because the other thing at play here as well is NBC, which is the national carrier for the NHL, also carries the Olympics. Well, the Olympics are scheduled. Of course, they were scheduled to take place this past summer in Tokyo, but they are rescheduled to take place this coming summer in Tokyo. I believe the start date is scheduled right now is July 23rd. Well, guess what has to be off the schedule for NBC, the NHL? The Olympics is going to take precedent over the NHL in any scenario. You know, and I read one possibility that maybe the league could go on pause for the Olympics, which is a couple of weeks. Uh, summer games, I believe, are 18 days, 19 days, uh, whatever it's stretched out to uh, these days. Um, but that's just that's just not realistic. That's not realistic. They talked about playing their regular season up to that date, pausing and then starting the playoffs. You can't do that. That's not going to happen. So you have to have your playoffs completed by the middle of July. And if the playoffs take seven weeks, again, math is hard. Back that up. June, end of May. You would have to have your regular season done by the middle of May. Maybe towards late May. It's so you're starting to see what what the the schedule could look like, what the season could look like under those parameters. Um, but again, is 48 enough? Do you need to play 65? Do you need to play 70? How close can you get? Um, do you ex- do you have a shorter season and expand the playoffs much? Like you did this year. I know Gary Bettman says that there's no appetite for that. uh, But this would be the perfect time to see how that would look. The bubble tournament was one thing with 2014s. But how would that look under this circumstance? Do you want to give that a look and expand it and maybe give those teams an opportunity to play home playoff games in front of fans? You know, that's something they have to uh, kind of take into consideration as well. So there's, there's a lot at play right now for the NHL when it comes to trying to put their game, put their season together. 
we should have some answers uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, I know in talking to some people that trying to put this type of a situation together is probably 10, 15, 20 times more difficult than what they did to put the bubble tournament together. There were a lot of logistics involved. There were a lot of things that had to work out right, that they had to pull off, that they had to put in play, that they had to put in place for that to to work. That was basically just getting 24 teams, 12 to each city, and then just getting them into that environment and then making it work from there. This is a much different situation. You know, I, I, I guess the, the silver lining in them trying to put this together, especially as it relates to potential positive COVID tests for players or staff that might shut down or, um, you know, delay games might have to cause a delay in a schedule. They've seen how that works with the NFL. You know, they got a taste of how it worked in Major League Baseball when they started things off in July. So you have something to work with there. You have a, a, a blueprint, if you will, for the NHL to go off of and, and discuss with those leagues and how they dealt with it and how would that look in the NHL. There's just a ton more work that has to go into this. I, I think in a lot of the reading that I've been doing that the most likely scenario is teams are going to play in their home buildings. Maybe you start the season off in this hub, this quote unquote hub environment, um, you know, and then you, you can, you can change it. And that's the other thing is too, is they've talked about being fluid and flexible about starting things one way, but not necessarily ending them another way. Um, but I think what we, what we have to get ready for is the thought that, Whatever we think of, the NHL is going to look a lot, lot different this year. Uh, as you know, uh, again, we we talked about the possibility of being the Lightning being in a division with the Chicago or St. Louis or Nashville or Dallas. I mean, to me, if if you're doing a regionally based, it just makes sense that you would have a Dallas, you would have a Nashville, you would have a Tampa Bay, a Florida, a Carolina. There's five teams right there. You know, do you do a Detroit to Chicago and a Minnesota to kind of have a dividing line, if you will, and then you have the eight Northeast teams of you know a Washington, a Rangers, the Islanders, uh, Boston, Buffalo, uh, that region up there, the Capitals, you know how that might look. It's just there's just a lot at play, but the clock is ticking, and I think that's the thing that we have to think about here. The clock is ticking on trying to put together a plan. But at the same time, the league has said they won't be rushed into a plan. It's just it's just very interesting in how all of this is going. And the exact quote from Bill Daly on that is that we know there is some urgency here. There is some urgency for making decisions. And while we want to drop the puck on January 1st, we also recognize that we're not going to rush into a bad decision just to make it. Whether that January 1st can be a little later, we certainly have flexibility to move it later. We are in regular communications with the clubs. I think the players in the clubs have a fairly good understanding of what a January 1st opening would require. So there's obviously been a lot of back-channel talking, not not publicly, not to the media in any ways, but teams and players and everything else. They kind of have at least the framework, the parameter, the idea of something, of what something might look like we should know soon 
We should know sooner. And I think once that happens, you'll start to see player movement. You know, you'll start to see contracts because one of the big things that, that's being discussed right now is too. We already know that in the CBA that was negotiated that led to the return to play, that made sure that there wasn't going to be any sort of a labor situation for this season. The players are already going to give back 20% of this year's contracts to escrow right off the bat. They are also going to give back an additional 10% to the, the, the owners that will be paid back to the players over time. So essentially 30% of what the players are making right now is cut off. And now there's talk that the owners, if they have to play a shortened season, might look to prorate those salaries. That is a, is a huge obstacle that's going to have to be overcome. But this this is where you could start to see some of the issues that are coming up. So so that's where we stand. And I think once we get there, you'll start to see some more player movement in terms of signings, of trades, everything like that. But until we get a date and an idea what the financial landscape is going to look like, uh, certainly from the business side of these teams in the league, that's when we'll start to get a more clear idea of how things are going to work. All right, before I get to uh, a few of the questions that everybody sent in, and I, as always, I really, really appreciate every question that comes my way. But before we get to those, I have a couple of things I want to address. First of all, I had a trivia question in the last podcast uh, for a free signed autograph copy of my book, Lightning Strikes. Uh, Matthew Wheeler is the winner of that book, so congratulations. Matthew, I will be reaching out to you here uh, in the coming days to get address information from you uh, to send your book um, and to uh, get it your way. So uh, be on the lookout for that, Matthew. So congratulations on that. And I want to do something else a little different right now, too. A little off the norm. You know, we've got some free time on my hands. I've been doing a lot of uh, stuff around the house um, some painting projects uh, that I've that I've had to get to painting the house for the first time. The outside of the house was painted for the first time in about 15 years, which is a little past the the time you should get uh, your house repainted. So I've been busy with that. So that's why I've kind of been off the grid here for the last couple of weeks. It's it's going to kind of be that way a little bit here for the next few days as well, just because I've got some interior stuff now that we want to work on. Um, so we'll we'll get to that. Um, but one of the things that, uh, you know, all this time at home that we've all had is the opportunity to kind of maybe watch some shows that we maybe not have in the past. And uh, so uh, maybe I'll start this if it's popular. If it's not, if people hate it, we'll get rid of it. But whatever it is, it's called What is Eric Watching Right Now? And I want to give you a little taste of that uh, with something I've watched and it's really kind of caught my eye. Uh, and I love this show. and. Um, you know, I'll give you a little hint of it right here. So that is the wonderful Marcus Mumford singing the theme song for the show Ted Lasso, 
on Apple TV. And if you haven't watched this show, I haven't watched the entire season yet. I'm uh, just past the halfway point. It stars Jason Sudeikis uh, as an American football coach who was hired as a English Premier League soccer coach. And, you know, it's your traditional sort of fish out of water story. He's got this southern accent that reminds me of Ricky Bobby in some ways in the way he talks. Uh, So it's your typical fish out of water type comedy. But the characters on this show are just enthralling to me. They're just so wonderfully crafted. And to have this, you know, Midwestern accent guy thrown in the middle of a British Premier League, and he knows nothing about soccer, but he's just so lovable and likable. And he, Jason Sudeikis put, pulls this character off so, so well. I love this show. It is absolutely heartwarming to see how he deals with these different situations, to see how he relates to players and 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 the buttons that he pushes and and the the coaching strategies he has is for a coach who knows nothing about the sport that he's coaching it it's fascinating and I highly 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 recommend the show I want to thank Corey Long many of you know Corey uh from nhl.com he made sure to point out to me um when the show first debuted on Apple TV. Hey, you should check the show out. It's it's really it's done really well. And I'm glad I listened to him because it's a wonderful show. And if you have access to Apple TV, I highly suggest it. Um it's it's a lot of fun. Uh but it it's it's like it's a sports obviously it's a sports show, but it's not about sports. It's about life and um I really, really enjoy that. So uh that's what Eric is watching this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I've got one in mind for the next episode that we do because uh, it's not something that has aired yet but it will here in the coming days uh, so I'll give a little review of that show that's coming out too so hey check it out Ted Lasso on Apple TV all right uh, just a few questions that we want to get to here with the podcast um, and the first one comes from uh, Darian uh, this is a great question, and it kind of relates into what uh, I was saying that I've been doing here for the last uh, couple of weeks as I've been on hiatus. Uh, he asked, what's your go-to drill slash sauce set? You seem to be a DeWalt kind of guy to me. Um, <laughs> honestly, Darian, whatever is in my garage or whatever my dad has, I'm not a handyman in any way, shape, or form. I can screw... Uh, uh, you know, use a screwdriver and put a screw into the wall or, you know, hang something up. Uh, my wife will tell you it's not usually straight when I do it, but I can do it. I can put a few things together. Um, painting a house is something that I can do. And I have to thank my dad in a lot of ways for helping me out because he used to have his own painting business. So he's been a huge help uh, as he tends to be. He's the handyman. If we have an issue around the house, he's usually who I call. And I just marvel at my dad who is now 81 years old, still doing this and and being able to help and uh, be involved. And it's just great. So I leave the tools to him and whatever tools he happens to have uh, is typically what uh, I go with. So um, whatever I have in my garage is what I have. And then uh, the paint and everything else. So um, that's my answer to, to Darian's question. Thank you for that uh, question, Darian. Uh, I do do 
appreciate that one. The next one comes from Greg. Uh, any rumors on the new TV voice? John Forslund would be a nice addition. Yeah, we've talked uh, quite a bit about that, about what it might look like uh, for who takes over for Rick Peckham. Uh, there's there's no movement on that front yet. And again, because of the fluidity of the situation, they don't really need to have anybody in place until next month, right? Like we don't need to get to that point quite yet um, because, you know, if you're the Lightning, you don't necessarily want to have to pay somebody until you have to pay somebody. And I think that's what's the case here. Certainly, certainly John Forslund would be a great addition but what has happened since we've uh, brought this subject back up again is uh, Mike Emmerich, Doc Emmerich retired. The great Doc Emmerich retired as a national voice of NH, uh, the NHL and NBC. And you would have to think that John Forslund's name is on the list to potentially replace a Doc Emmerich as the voice of the NHL. You know, he did a lot of games in the bubble. He did. You know, so many of the games in Toronto, uh, in, in that market. Um, so you would have to think his name would be high. Some other ones that might be considered for the national gig, uh, Brendan Burke, who calls games for the New York Islanders, uh, Alex Faust, who calls games for the LA Kings. Uh, those are a couple of names that you kind of keep an eye on, some younger names that you can keep an eye on to potentially take over uh, the NHL national voice. Uh, so if Forsling goes that route, uh, if he does tend, you know, gets hired by that, because remember the, the lead voice for NHL on NBC didn't used to be a full-time gig. Well, now it's a full-time gig. You know, Doc Emmerich was still calling games for the Devils while also still doing national games for uh, NBC. And of course that changed, um, you know, a few years back. Um, so I guess the potential is there that, you know, a guy like Forslund, let's say, as an example, could call lightning games, but then also call national games. But you would have to have somebody as a backup. Um, so uh, I, there's no rumors as to who might uh, come in and replace Rick Peckham. Uh, but know that that day, uh, like trying to find a date for the NHL, is coming soon. Uh, here's a question from, um, well, let's just call him PB. Uh, on Twitter is Alex Selivanov, a top 50 all time lightning great. Who that is a good question. Uh, I would probably have to put together my list of top 50 to see where he would fall. Um, you know, s certainly in the last six, seven years, the lightning have added a ton, a ton of players that you could put on a top 50 list uh, in franchise history. Uh, but I can say this, and this is a list I'm actually thinking of putting together. Um, he Selivanov scored one of the greatest goals in Lightning history. Yeah, certainly Marty St. Louis, double overtime goal, game six in Calgary. Uh, Braden Points, five overtime game winner against Columbus. Uh, Marty St. Louis, triple overtime goal against the Washington Capitals in 2003. You know, those goals certainly stand out. But Alex Selivanov had the overtime goal in Game 3 of the 1996 first-round series against the Flyers, um, the, o the OT goal that gave the Lightning a 2-1 series victory or a 2-1 series lead uh, against the top-ranked Flyers. And this was the you know Legion of Doom days with Mikhail Rengberg and um, 
John Leclerc and Eric Lindros. Uh, this is where a guy like Michel Petit uh, became a, a fan favorite uh, for the, uh, the the series that he had. Igor Ulanov uh, also became a little bit of a household name here in the Tampa market. Uh, for his play, but it was Alex Salavanov who scored that overtime goal at the then Thunderdome where they played. Of course, now it's Tropicana Field. Uh, I was actually at that game in 1996 and remember how loud it was, even for such a cavernous building, how loud it was uh, leaving that game. Um, it, you know, So it, does that put Salavanov as a top 50 player in Lightning history? Let's say he would definitely be in the conversation. I don't know exactly where he would fall. Uh, he wasn't here a long period of time, uh, but he had an impact for sure. Um, so I would have to say he would definitely get consideration for that top 50 in franchise history. All right, the last question comes in from Faye. What's your favorite Chris Dingman memory? And she gives a little smiley face at the end. I know she's a big Chris Dingman fan. Um, best Chris Dingman memory. Um, you know, a couple of them stand out to me. Um, unfortunately, the one that sticks out into my mind the most came in the 2006 playoffs against the Ottawa Senators when he tried to spark his team. Everything was done for the right reasons, but he would try and spark his team to mount some sort of a comeback against the Senators. I think this was in Game 4. You know, Ottawa was kind of pulling away with the game. Um, you know, it was about to become a 3-1 series, and he tried to go after Chris Neal right off the faceoff. So he drops his gloves and he goes after him. And unfortunately for Dinger, he ends up with the with a five and a two. Uh, actually, put the Senators on a power play uh, for an extended period of time because he he got the fighting major. Chris Neal did not, uh, and that was kind of a uh, of a tough break for Dish uh, in that situation. Um, you know, I remember some things that he said. You know, uh, through the years, one of them was that uh, a lot of times at the end of games, John Tortorella would put uh, Dingman's line over the boards and say his his words to me was, Dish, get the puck in the corner, stick that big ass out and protect the puck. And that, then again, that's coming from Chris Dingman, uh, who used to say that uh, a few times to me when we would have conversations. So uh, those are those are two moments that stand out and. To me, there were certainly others. Um, you know, he was a great guy in practice. Um, you know, we 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 called him the greatest practice goal scorer in the history of the team because he would always score goals uh, in practice. But you know, he had some big goals too. You know, uh, in that 2003 second round series against the Devils, um, I think he had a goal in the triple over. Was it the triple overtime loss uh, to the Devils? Uh, in that series, I can't remember if that was game five. I think it was game five of uh, that series against the Devils. Um, you know, so he certainly had his moments. And, you know, here's here's a man who's got his name on the cup twice, right? He's got his name on the cup twice. So uh, always enjoyed my conversations that I had with Chris Dingman uh, through the years, um, you know, from his playing days to when he was on the radio at the now defunct 98.7 uh, sports talk radio that was around as well. 
So that is my Chris Dingman memories. Uh, all right, that's going to wrap up uh, this latest edition of the podcast. Again, just be on the listen, be on the lookout for news, whatever news might look like in the coming days with the NHL. Uh, we should be anticipating something here in the very near future. In the meantime, I will continue to try and get uh, some more painting done around the house, taking advantage of this little bit of a lull uh, in the NHL schedule to kind of get some of this stuff done uh, before things start to kick off again. So um, as always, thanks everybody for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you rate it, especially on Apple. If you can, hit that five-star review. It means so much to us uh, to try and get this thing off the ground and going. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the little segment there with uh, what's Eric watching right now. Um, I'll continue to try and do some of that if there's some good feedback from it. Uh, so until our next episode, be well and be safe. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.